0: And welcome to Manga Mangasplaining, the show where we recommend great manga to folks who have not read manga before. Hosted by myself, David Brothers, Deb Aoki, Christopher Butcher, and Chip Zdarsky, follow along with our show notes and reading list at mangasplaining.com. For some reason, saying myself, David Brothers, made it sound like I wasn't David Brothers in my head. <laughs> 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 That's just the kind of week this is going to be. But so, dearly beloved, we are gathered here today for a very special occasion. Something we kept talking about during the first season was wanting to see the evolution of an artist. And that's kind of tough to do in manga because it means either reading, I don't know, 90 volumes of One Piece or kind of spending an equivalent amount on another artist. So my idea was we read the first chapter of a bunch of series and the first volume of this creator's latest series and discuss kind of how we feel about it, what we think of the evolution, and maybe kind of shortcut our way to a conversation we've been meaning to have (laughs) for a while. But the artist I chose was Tsutomu Nihei, who is, he works without assistance, which is one reason why I thought he would be interesting for this. Because in this case, it's actually just like one dude drawing everything. And a friend, Caleb Goldner, he's at Caleb Andrew on Twitter, actually described him in an an amazing way. He said, knowing what I know about Nihei, I've kind of grounded his comics as an architect's exploration of existence through mortality and the fight against it. Everything he makes is about whether consciousness can truly be separated from the body and what that means for being truly alive. He drops characters into existing frameworks that they're forced to wander through with no real answers. And first, great description. Thank you, Caleb. Stole it wholesale. (laughs) But (laughs) Nihay's comics are fun because there's this weird sense of scale. There's this weird sense of doom. There's this weird feeling overall, and it makes it kind of enthralling to me. Like I got the okay. first volume of Blam, spelled Blame, back in two thousand five, two thousand six, whenever it first dropped, and I could not make heads or tails of it. Like I never actually bought volume two until like the bigger volumes came out. Yeah. But it was enthralling. Like because I couldn't figure it out, I had to figure it out. And hopefully we'll end up sparking that feeling in some the people listening here. <laughs> so Blam was his first book. We read the first chapter, which is from, I had all this written down, Amazingly, 1997.
1: From the 90s, 97.
0: It was his first oh, wow. published manga work. He'd worked in his assistant a little bit. He had a one-shot accepted by a Taniguchi award, which is kind of interesting. So he kind of came in with a lot of cool buzz. Like, he was clearly going mm. somewhere. And I got to admit, like, the first chapter didn't really hit me very hard. It's just kind of generic, like you see where it's going, and then you get to the last page, and you have no idea where it's going. So it kind of it captured me that way. And I think, Chris, what did you think about for Chapter of Blam?
2: So I've actually got. I read the series. I'm pretty sure I got. I finished the series, but it, like I said, it was a long time ago. Tokyo Pop published the first edition in English. It's now yeah. av- available in a really s- nice series of omnibus collections from Kodansha. Actually,
0: they're disgustingly nice.
2: They are, and I've got the first one, and it's signed because he was at Tomonoya was at San Diego Comic Con a number of years ago. The first chapter is not good. It is <sighs> like, I, like it's, it's not good but it's so fascinating to me because it's, it's kind of what I love in comics. And this is something that's going to maybe repeat through the episode for me is that like it's bold and it's reaching. I think it's reach exceeds its grasp a little bit. It's trying stuff. It's throwing stuff at the wall. It's brash for sure. And you kind of aren't sure if he's making it up while he goes along. There's so much style. And you're not quite sure if the substance is going to come, is going to rise to meet the style or not. But it reminds me of a lot of young work. And I think if you can get excited about that, if it's especially if it's something, especially if you read it at the time when you hadn't seen The Matrix, <laughs> it's pre-Matrix, you know, like it was clearly an influence on it. I think that that's, yeah, I, I think the first chapter of Blam is is probably just enough for the right reader to keep reading. Yeah. But I think you read that first volume of Blam and... It goes off in like a very, it, it becomes, it, it's be, it's a better hook, I think, than the first chapter mm. is alone.
0: Gotcha. And yeah. this isn't me offloading more of my duties as host, but how would you explain what happens in the first chapter? I'm curious. Like nothing happens? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah. <laughs> and, you're, and you're compounding that by the fact that we've read five first chapters by him before getting to Apple Sims, where yeah. it's all kind of the same, actually, a little bit. <laughs> Yeah, so it's like yeah, I don't I don't know that I know exactly what happened in Blam. Actually, having read, I could oh, Biomeg is easier because it's got the bear, but
1: yeah, <laughs> and the motorcycle, yeah,
2: and the well, and the motorcycle. But like, yeah, Blam. I I you know a guy enters a mysterious. Sorry, a guy exists in a mysterious place, almost like a gunslinger. There's like a bit of a cowboy western oh, yeah. thing going on, although completely separate setting. Obviously, this like lone dude enters a space. Is attacked by you know outlaws beyond human imagining, and you you begin to realize that this world that he's in is like this is much bigger and more oppressive than you uh, than you maybe you thought that the series was going to be. And this like these heavy shadows, these this techno organic thing doesn't end. It's like this unending, never ending world that you, he's sort of walking through. Stephen King's Gunslinger a little bit where he's just like on a on a quest on a journey that only he really understands Mm -hmm. through a world that's done yeah man it's it hit the right way 20 years ago (laughs) for me (laughs) and now it's like well we'll get to it but i think i prefer his more mature work a little bit more
0: okay deb how about you how did chapter one strike you it completely flummoxed me.
3: <laughs> I Great <was> like, word.
4: <laughs> Damn, she stole my word.
3: <laughs> I mean, it's just kind of, he throws you in this world. He doesn't explain anything. He, he just kind of, there's no narration. There's no setting up what this world is. It just kind of throws you into this situation where this guy is walking on this bridge and he's a teeny tiny person in a huge world, and there's all kinds of perspective and vanishing lines, and you don't know w- what this this weird place is. And yeah. he's w- with a kid, and you're like, okay, so there's, that feels familiar. There's a guy protecting a kid, and then he runs into very desiccated...
0: Not even uh, zombie-looking, like...
3: Yeah, they're really str- strange gross. people, right? They're yeah. like, kind mm. of, they're kind of Organic looking, and yet mm-hmm. they're decayed, and then they're after him, and then he blows them up, and or at least he, and then there's something about genotypes and germs and disease, and <laughs> it's, and then and it, it it ends, and you're like, wait, what was that thing on the bottom there with the blob of the face? Yeah, <laughs> was that the kid? <laughs> like I had to go back and forth a couple times, like what just happened? <laughs> yeah, and. I don't know. if, I mean, I I have Blam Volume One as a, on as both a print and a, a digital version.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: But I gotta say it like you know when you're just kind of lost like this, you're thinking, "What?" I
1: don't but
4: you're know. you're sorry. Back up. You're flummoxed by this, and you have the print and the digital version.
3: But I only read first chapter because I I I did the homework. Okay. Nice. <laughs> <All right. laughs> oh, but I did cheat a little. I did I did yeah. go ahead to chapter two because chapter two had a an interesting part about a book, mm. which intrigued me, but maybe what made you want to go on to chapter two? Because And then I could.
0: she there. owned it. <laughs> yeah, actually,
3: <laughs> you know, like there was a, there was, at, at first I did the assignment and I just went to the Kodansha website and I read the first chapter mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then I realized, Oh, I actually have this. <laughs> <laughs> so then I went and looked at it and I thought, you know, I'm, I'm just, I'm confused. And I, I, I went back and forth a couple times in this first chapter. Wait, what mm-hmm. happened? Wait, the kid got removed, and what's that? And it's got grabbed by the other guy, and then like, and then at the last thing, it's like he looks down, and then there's like this childlike face and this blob of something, and you're like, did the kid die?
0: <laughs> and then there's a reaction shot with the statue, and it's like.
3: What do we take from this? And then he's and then he's tiny and he's walking up the stairs. You can barely tell whether he's got the kid under his arm or whatever that that thing is. So at that point I was like, I guess it's because I can, I'm gonna see what happens. <laughs> I'm gonna try and see what the heck just happened here.
4: She sees that mountain of chapter two and she climbs it because she can.
5: Mm-hmm. I like it. I but
4: like I don't it. know
3: but I don't know if like I only saw chapter one on the preview. Mm-hmm. Would I plunk down the money to buy it. Mm-hmm. I don't know. The part of chapter two that was interesting was there's a moment where they get a book mm-hmm. and then grabs a book and the book says, the cold silent land was lightening as the human figure walked up to the ridge. And then the guy looks at the book and he goes, what's land? It's mm. <laughs> pretty good. And I thought, Oh, how intriguing! And then, so I, because Google is magic, I, I put the whole phrase into Google and I found that it's from a short story by James Tiptree.
0: Oh, that's awesome.
3: It's from a collection called Ten Thousand Light Years From Home. Yeah. And James Tiptree is actually the pen name of Alice Shelton.
0: Okay. That hmm. Kind of solves blam.
3: I think it rewards reading and that, you know, that he offers little clues. And if you're mm-hmm. patient, you know, you'll you'll get more out of it. For someone who is used to reading a lot more accessible manga, where mm-hmm. they tell you what the world is, and they, they set up the plot, and they set up the conflict, everything very neatly for you, they give you clear pathways into the story.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: This is a little more challenging. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Chip, do you agree? Well, let me just say uh... – I would be
4: flummoxed by this if I cared enough to be flummoxed. Mm. <laughs> like to be flummoxed means kind of indicates that you have a level of of interest to kind of be flummoxed by it. But yeah. like I I bounce off this after the that spread because the spread's great. The opening spread, yeah, with with a single vanishing point, very simple but really elegant. And then the next page is just a dog's breakfast. Like it's just like <laughs> like uh, layout, pacing, everything just goes out the window. Rendering structure. It, I was worried because you you gave us the list, mm-hmm. and I clicked it, and I just was like, "Oh God, I pray this is the first work, <laughs> or it else is. this set. is going to be bad." <laughs> yeah, I realized later it, it was because this is this is, and I, you know, I mean you know it's the first work so you can't i can't be upset or anything i also read mm-hmm. it for free so i really can't be upset but it's probably the most high school thing i've ever seen like Ooh. it is no no it's not even ouch it's just like like if if i saw somebody had drawn like a bunch of these scenes in my high school i'd be like this is awesome
2: this is literally the best comic you've ever seen at that point
4: yeah right? but yeah. if i saw this at the end of my college years i'd be like Oh, dude! <laughs> like, come <laughs> on! <laughs> and it makes a lot of sense because, like, when, when Deb said that line from the book, I'm just like, "Wow, oh, that's actually really good." Mm-hmm. And and then, of course, I she realized that somebody else wrote it. <laughs>
3: <laughs> of course, I did. <laughs> yeah.
4: <laughs> so yeah, so I I bounced off this. I bounce off this pretty hard. Like after the after that, really it's a is a beautiful opening, and there are there are a couple more kind of like big scenes which are used to great effect. Which obviously he gets much better at later, like yeah. by by the, his most recent work or whatever in our list. the 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 expansive scenes are, are as if they're done by a master at that mm. point. So you can, you can see the inkling of that here, but then the characters just fall apart, the rendering falls apart and uh, and the layouts really fall apart. So it's like, yeah, I, I found myself really kind of flipping through this being like, okay, I'm just, I'm,
0: I'm hoping the next one's better. Yeah. There's a face on page seven, panel three, where Achilles just kind of looking at a guy and it just doesn't work for me. Like it has that high school no. feeling you're talking about.
2: Mm. Yeah. yeah. I see mm-hmm. what, I know exactly what face you mean. It's yeah. not like, the nose isn't in the right place. Like, if you look at that, and then you look at, panel know, four, five, six as well, his mm-hmm. nose has dropped, like, two inches.
0: And weirdly, it's the hair. Like, that's such oh, really? a yeah. young way of drawing, it, like, manga or anime style hair,
2: you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. There were it's a lot true. of young people in my life that drew exactly yeah. like this after yeah. this came out. And yeah, also, like, this is all, nice. like,
0: and then... Admiring way, I think we're not making fun so much as being like, no. this is it's, what it was, and this is kind yeah. of why it worked."
3: This reminds me it's of like Trent young Reznor. Work. Trent Reznor, yeah, 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 like that look, yeah, for you for, totally for, do for sure. cover
0: art.
4: But even yeah, this, this opening scene of just the bridge—it's like after you have that nice shot of the bridge, the bridge means nothing after that yeah. point. Like it's it's used such little effect and poorly drawn, and also like, oh man, just like. The fact that they repeat the kind of the, the same kind of shot of the bridge twice, mm. but it's supposed to be in an opposite direction. Mm. Like, it's just just really bad layout choices here. Yeah. Yeah. Just looking it. at them,
0: like, Oh, you it's love it? Super ambitious. No, I love though. that you zeroed in on the bridge. Yeah. Like Deb's saying, it's super ambitious because he leans into the bridge side of things mm-hmm. and away from the talking about things side of things. Yeah. Mm. So the later volumes of this, you can see, like he was trained as an architect, and he went to art school in New York. You can see the architect in him come out, like it's Mm -hmm. very claustrophobic. Like he'll draw a picture of an enormous room, like a very tiny person, and you will still get like the willies, you know.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. But
4: yeah, the I mean, just yeah, very very strange choices here.
2: There are some nice shots, though. I want to, I want to, I want to go on record here. Uh, This is page. I guess nine, nine or ten. I can't tell because of the backwards forwards thing that's going on with this preview reader. But bottom of page nine, where he's like falling backwards through the air, shooting a gun, and he explodes yeah. the zombie mm. guy in half. Yeah,
4: that's oh, good. That Terrible. that looks like that's photo No, no, look at shot? look at his look at his body. Now take a look at his body. Look at his shoe. His shoe okay. goes straight into his leg. Oh. like like that is just like like that is his one shape that makes zero sense mm-hmm. and even with his
2: arm and hands oh, on the gun it's all foreshortening i can totally see it
4: no yeah no you can you can see it but you're supposed to have, be able to make it out based on the silhouette if you silhouetted yeah. that you wouldn't be able to make out the fact he's firing a gun the fact that he has a foot mm. like the fact that the foot angles up exactly in line with the leg is one of the worst tangents you could do and then our like,
3: and his red pen on the layout no, if he I if he just this. popped that That's gun what out
4: I if he popped that gun out just a little bit more, so even if he got the tip of the gun out, like there would be so much more dynamism to that character, it would work so much better. Because right now, it's just the legs are just like out, and his yeah. body's just like whatever, <laughs> and his head is normal. His head is as if he's standing.
2: I'm hearing someone who didn't like Rob Liefeld in high school talk right now. <laughs> <laughs> that is a problem. I will say this exact pose: this the
0: falling back, shooting legs up pose. He gets much better at as time goes yeah. on. Like yeah. Specifically <laughs> go. that pose. It's okay. kind of a trip. <laughs> yeah. But so the next work was Noise. Sorry, sorry, set Chris. In the same sorry. universe. No, no, no. I'm fine. <laughs> uh, it's in the same universe as Blam. And essentially Blam is set so far in the future, like the Earth exists. This is spoilers, but not really. There's only kind of a narrative. The Earth exists in a Dyson sphere. So he wanders like literally to Jupiter. Like the distance. Over mm-hmm. the course of the series. Mm. In like one chapter. Like it's just like a, a caption box where they just casually mention it. <laughs> but this I think is set a little bit before the drastic expansion in another area where it's like a police procedural. They find a dead body, a cop disappears, one lady thinks she's seeing things, like there's weird stuff going on. Let's start with chip for noise and then work our way back around to Devin and Chris. What did you think about this one?
1: Okay. <laughs>
4: so uh, like in charting the progress yeah there was some cockiness that happened after the first launch and then coming into this the artist was like oh i i intrinsically know what to do so i'm just gonna just do it and then it doesn't work (laughs) like it's it's like the the figures are more interesting because he's loosened up, mm-hmm. but he also hasn't figured out the structure of how to present people. It's, it's just like a gothic mess. Mm. And it, it really took me back to my early days of manning a uh, table at comic conventions, where I'd look down the row. Maybe this is just like, I've got some trauma here from it. Looking down <laughs> the row while I'm trying to sell my black and white comics at like some goth dude with a lineup of of goths buying their comics. And when I see the comics, it's just scribble, scribble, scribble without form. Like, it's just like, just, ah, look at this. Look at how dark this is. I'm like, but you haven't done anything. Like you actually Mm. haven't aided the panels or the scene in, in any way with your mark making. Like, it's just, you've just decided to be a mess. And so I see a lot of that here, which, which wildly distracts me from, uh, from getting into the, the story. So mm. I bounce off I don't wanna make it seem like I'm gonna hate their work <laughs> forever because it, it really does turn around pretty quickly. Yeah. But this just this felt like like kind of a, a a goth experiment in producing work with maybe a bit more speed. And the layouts are better, for sure. Mm. They're still mm. not that good, and definitely nowhere near as good as, as they get later on, but they're
0: definitely better. And it looks like Deb has a rebuttal.
2: Rebut, rebut, Deb. <laughs> rebut, rebut. Take him down a peg.
3: No, no, no. I mean, I, I, hear you. It's, it's a little bit less scratchy. He's doing more, more darks, and yeah. he's trying to set a mood.
5: Mm-hmm.
3: But the thing that throws me up about this one is that the girl's eyes are way too far apart.
4: <laughs> yeah, really I mean, it, it's less that they're too far apart. Like I don't mind that as a stylistic thing, but they grow farther apart. which is which is weird like i'm looking at uh, it's hard to tell with the page 22 and the the bottom two panels of her where she's saying what is this place her eyes are far apart Mm -hmm. she's also has no emotion on her face really that's also an issue with the art but then the panel just to the left of it her eyes have i think grown even farther apart
0: yeah yeah what's funny is the facing page i feel like is a good example of nihe's approach to design at this point in his career. Okay. Where it's like what would make an awesome heavy metal cover yeah mm. yeah, for sure, all the monsters in this are kind of in that genre, yeah uh, and it works like it, they're really kind of the empty face designs, like the gross ribs and things like that, yeah,
3: very geiger
4: yeah,
0: yeah, definitely
4: yeah, definitely definitely going through a phase here
3: <laughs> I think there's a there's a stage in a in a young artist's life where you can And this happens in most in a lot of creators, right? Where you can definitely see their influences. Mm -hmm. You can definitely see the where where their interests lie, and where they're grabbing what they think is cool, and they're trying to mesh it into their style. Mm -hmm. It's still very nascent, Mm -hmm. but again, you know, I think I admire his ambition. Mm
1: -hmm.
3: He's really trying to do a lot here. I mean, there's like in this in this particular. A first chapter. There's a ton of different settings. Yeah. You know, there all kinds of rooms and like rooms full of guns and bri and bricks and it's just tons of settings. Like it's mm. and, and almost too many.
5: <laughs> like <laughs> it jumps
3: from scene to scene to scene to scene to scene. Where am I? What am I doing? What is this place? Wait, how is this a prequel to Blam? I don't get it.
0: <laughs> yeah, even go back to one scene and it's a different setting. Like it's been cleaned up in the interim between
1: the panels. Yeah.
3: But you can definitely see that he, he has. He he definitely has themes that he likes to explore, Mm -hmm. and you'll see like you know these these creatures with the humanoid faces and the the Geiger like bodies like they're kind of organic but they're still scary. They're not quite skeletons. Mm. Um, They're like insects almost.
2: Yeah, biomechanical.
3: Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So you you can and this thread you know runs throughout his entire work. I still don't get what's going on, <laughs> but you know yeah. I'm a little dumb that way.
0: <laughs> yeah, Chris, how about you? Do you get what's going on?
2: Actually, this one seemed a lot more straightforward than Blam did to me. It's like, okay, you've got this setting, and this. I went and looked before I actually read this. I went to see when this was was drawn, and he started drawing it in the middle of Blam. He went and did this like little side story called Noise, mm-hmm. and two thousand, so like three, four years after after Blam started. And it's like, okay, I want to tell a smaller story with like a beginning, middle, and end. And you can see that it's like, he starts off, it's like, it's a police procedural. There is more of a beginning, middle, and end, but he's still a young artist. Like, he's still obsessed with drawing things that look cool to him without necessarily the artistic fundamentals at the core of his drawing. So, yeah, like, it's good that you mentioned the eye thing because, yeah. The protagonist's eyes are never consistently like it's not even stylistically they're different they're they're too far apart it's just panel to panel they keep moving all over like there's one panel where they're literally almost on the sides of their head and it's not a stylistic choice it's just like he's probably he was doing this weekly like that's the other thing he's doing this speed here weekly at 24 years old or something insane like yeah let's just slap it down with like crazy ideas you know what i mean like that page where the monster is revealed at the, at the end of chapter monster the blank face the like biomechanical monster skeleton it's body coming cool. up through the mist it's cool like it's yeah. cool cool and it's not good <laughs> like, <laughs> but it's like really cool and it's this is the kind of thing where you like show somebody this and it's like this spawns a thousand doujinshi and mini comics and it's starts funny, people yeah. drawing shit
4: I'm 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 looking at that page, the two facing pages, and I'm like, yeah, it's very cool. But then like on, on the page right after the reveal, the monster s- shrinks by two sizes. Yeah. <laughs> Cuz in the previous page like our main character is in the foreground and tiny and this monster is looming. It's awesome. And then the next page like she's in the background and she's almost as big as it is. Yeah. It's For very sure, I mean. very or well, reverse perspective, <laughs> reverse foreshortening. <laughs> like, I don't understand.
2: <laughs> if you go to the next page, though, it's a side profile of her shooting a gun at the monster. Look how far back her eyes are set in her face.
4: Yes. Oh, oh this man. is this is such a <laughs> this is such a f- fast drawn. I mean, that's the thing. Like the fact that you explained that they were doing it while doing the other book makes so much sense. Like this is where they were blowing off steam to be like, "Fuck it." putting these lines down there's no pencils here i'm just going for it
2: Mm -hmm. it's all energy and i i actually love it like i i love it but you can yeah look at any single one of these panels and just pick it to pieces because there's so many like artistic problems with them but last
4: so yeah last energetic yeah the 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 last comic Mm -hmm. is high school this comic is art school okay like that's 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 progression because like art school is just all about figuring out the style yeah and maybe going a bit too goth (laughs) (laughs) like like i knew i knew a guy who drew almost exactly like this in in art school
2: yeah he probably owned this
4: (laughs) yeah he probably probably owned this so it makes a lot of sense
0: cool and then kind of If you were on comics internet around 2008, 2009, 2010, you heard about Biomega, mostly Mm. because of the bear with the rifle. Um, (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Which instant hit everyone who's seen it has been like, no, like, I want to know more about this bear. Deb, what did you think about Biomega back in the day? And what do you think about it now?
3: I really liked it then, just Mm -hmm. because it was so audacious.
1: Mm -hmm.
3: You know, I mean, it was kind of like how Knight Rider, where there's a talking car. Yeah, <laughs> he has this talking motorcycle, and it's just kind of like this. It's it's a lot faster moving than than Blammer noise,
1: mm-hmm.
3: and it it almost. I like the energy uh, in manga where it's like you know what huff physics, huff science, <laughs> huff gravity, huff, <laughs> huff whether this can be built or not. It is because mm-hmm. I say it is.
4: Huff where I should be.
3: <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just kind of this this this. I don't. I, this world is, cause I say it is. <laughs> Things work like that, cause I say it does. Why is there a bear? Cause I want a bear. <laughs> <laughs> Why are there no other animals? I don't care.
4: Yeah, <laughs> I do. I do. I do like that Deb really cemented that this is a swearing episode. Sorry. <laughs> Physics, science, <laughs> <health> anatomy perspective. <laughs> <laughs>
5: Sorry. Oh, no, can't great. even bleep
2: those ones. Like, I don't know what we're gonna do now. <laughs> no,
0: no. In- <laughs> sorry, David. Yeah, this is a saying in manga, it's appropriate.
2: Okay, perfect. Yeah. <laughs> perfect.
0: But also that is basically the feel of Biomega. It opens on or rather, I'm sorry, the third page or so is a guy driving across a bridge at night on a cool motorcycle mm-hmm. at six hundred and sixty six miles an hour. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> I love that. Possible? Like if you're not into that, like I don't know. Yeah, or kilometers an hour. I'm sorry. Mm. Still. <laughs> yeah. Chip, what did you think? You said you liked the bear. What did you think about the rest of Biomega?
4: It's 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 very pretty. They, they definitely leveled up a lot here. How many years mm-hmm. was there different between the previous book and this book?
3: 2004 was Biomega. So I'd say that was about.
2: So he finished Biomega right after he did Blam. and uh... Yeah. The other book. The, other the, book dir- the difference between
3: about. Noise and Biomega is three years.
2: Okay.
4: Okay. It, this is m- a much better, much more confident work. Mm-hmm. And the, the the mark-making enforces the environment, reinforces the environment. There's better perspective here as well, like playing around with it. Like there's a double-page spread of the character uh, dead on the street, and you've got some really interesting kind of worm's eye. Stuff happening, distortion.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah, yeah, it's it's very pretty. The environments are very pretty. The, the figures still, there are a few issues here and there, mm-hmm. but but overall, it's it's a massive step up from the previous two. When the bear showed up, I laughed,
5: <laughs>
4: <laughs> and I was like, "Wait, is this a cultural thing?" Because there's a bear that shows up in the. L- the the later book too that we looked at, yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> do bears just show up? Is it supposed to be funny Deb, or we'll not? I about
0: this at a comic con. Deb, can you tell the bear story?
3: Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, because I mean, that was one of my favorite things about Biomega that it, that there's this, all of a sudden there's just bear.
1: Yeah,
3: and, and then I asked him in the interview. I said, "Oh, what's up with the bears, man?" And then he says, "Oh, well, bears are have expressive faces." Yeah, there's uh, there's. – I'm not going to say anything more about that. And then sure enough, when come, the panel comes along, right, there's Q&A. So someone comes up to the mic and goes, dude, what's up with the bears? <laughs> and then he makes this loud sigh. And he goes, ah. It means nothing at all. Like, <laughs> like the feeling I got was that every interviewer after me asked him out about the f- effing bears.
4: <laughs> well, yeah. If you're gonna throw a bear in the middle of this, like dark, you know, Akira style epic or whatever, people are gonna ask you about the bear. I'm sorry.
0: Yeah, and a really well drawn
4: bear as well. A really well drawn yeah. bear.
3: <laughs> yeah. So I don't. I don't know the story, and he's never said it, but it. That whole, I was rereading that interview I did with him from that Comic-Con, and he's really funny and self-deprecating, you know? Mm. Like he kind of like, like when he looks back at Blam, like, because he and I were going in New York, going to art school about the same time.
1: Mm.
3: So Mm. I was telling him, it's like, oh, you know, what would you tell if you could go back and talk to your 20-something-year-old self who's living in New York, wanting to be an architect, what would you tell him? And he would say, don't draw so much black. It may look cool to you now, but it's a big pain in the ass later.
4: Also, forget the bear. Yeah, <laughs> don't draw the bear. People are just going to ask you about it.
3: So I, I I I I walked into that interview not really liking his work too much. I wasn't like a big big fan, mm-hmm. but I came away from, like really appreciating how self-deprecating and funny he is. You know, how, that like, makes
0: sense. Yeah, like Biomega is much more playful than Glam or Noise. There is a Blam comedy spinoff where it's like a high school setting. that was kind of
5: fun. <laughs> I
3: was oh, reading what? that. I was reading oh, that.
2: Yeah. What? <laughs> uh, Chris, amazing. how
0: did Biomega hit you?
2: This is the one where I felt like it, I didn't read it when it came out, actually. I kept meaning to read it, but there was so much stuff coming out in 2010. It was right before the crash and that it was just like, oh man, I'll get to it one day. I'll get to it one day. And I never did. So even though I... <laughs> I uh, have them all because of <laughs> having worked at Viz. So I actually went to read the first chapter and it just booted me into the first volume, actually. And I read the whole thing. It's really compelling, actually. The story nice. is a story, which is great. And it makes it hard now because I'm I just had to check to see where chapter one ended so I would know where the conversation actually got to. But like there are he is not only upped his game, like Chip was talking about in terms of like his stylistic quirks now serve the story rather than detract from them he's better at his rendering and he still has those amazing double page spreads like on the bike approaching the city and the city looks like it's just like 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 satan lives there like just satan lives there london yeah it's just (laughs) the worst but also kind of amazing like really beautiful like cool ideas still especially to do with architecture and scale but the story just is crazy like it's and I don't think you get enough of a sense of the stakes in the first chapter. I read a thing about bio Mega afterwards, after I finished the first volume and it was like in blam, he was just as a creator wandering through this space. You know what I mean? Like he's created this environment. He just wants to wander through halfway through. He's like, Oh, I have an idea for a completely different story in this setting and goes back and tells the police procedural set in time. Whereas for this one, the plot really just kicks into gear and keeps going by the end of the first volume, like spoilers, but not spoilers. He is literally shooting nuclear missiles out of the sky with like a laser beam to save the earth from being exploded by the bad guys. And you're just like, Oh, things have progressed here in like a lot of different, like not only are the ideas bigger, they're coming quicker. And I think that that's really cool. I, I think you only get the, the briefest hint of that in the first chapter which still moves pretty quick it's got a bear it's got a girl it's got a guy it's got crazy action gross monsters beautiful yeah. settings and it's like oh yeah i would if, if it was on my ipad i would click next or i would like if i was browsing it in the store i'd probably have to see how, where it goes but because i had it all i read the first volume and I'm like oh man i gotta go read the second one but i ran out of time before we had to record nice. today so i can't go <laughs> read it but yeah it's it's good and it didn't do well i sort of heard through the grapevine when it came out it was not one of the ones that did it as well and i think it's i honestly think it's safe to say that if this had come out as comic book issues it would have it could have maybe caught hold in the sort of superhero space in a way that i think even apple sims which we'll get to in a minute also maybe could have yeah it's it's a lone guy who's super cool he has a gun he's rescuing a girl there are clearly defined bad guys and there's just enough of a like uh, to get you to see what's in the next issue especially if this is like a double size first issue for three bucks i felt like this is the one where it's like well comic book retailer for 22 years what are you gonna do yeah (laughs) but yeah straight up i think that this one i don't i don't know that it got a Fair chance, unfortunately, like it was published, it was printed. You know what I mean. But I think if it had been, I think it's found its. I think people rediscovered it after Knights of Sidonia was released and became a huge anime success, and they're like, "Why didn't I read this at the time?" There's a bear with a like a like a (laughs) rifle. Like this is great, and it's just people. It's not the manga that people were reading in 2010 when this came out. So I really liked it, and I'm going to keep reading it. It's like a really fun. Act, like fun dark action adventure comic where the stakes are just i mean he's shooting nuclear missiles out of the sky with a laser <laughs> at the end of the first volume and it keeps going from there i yeah. think that that's pretty fun
3: I, I just love that kind of audaciousness
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah same if you can nail the tone for it like it's such a gift as a reader to see like something wild happen and like mm. actually believe it mm. yeah our next book. So this is the halfway point. Oh, so so uh, sorry,
4: David. Yeah. What do you think of it?
0: Like, yeah, you can, you can it's even yeah. oh yeah. yeah. I've been so focused on hosting. Yeah, <laughs> I feel like this is the one where Nihei, I don't. It's going to sound condescending, but I mean it in a good way. Like he discovered narrative as opposed to yeah. setting. Mm. Yeah. yeah, Blam is like an incredibly realized setting, even though it's sort of a generic, blank, faceless thing. Like it has a feel. It has a vibe it doesn't feel good to look at which i think is very impressive for an artist to pull off yeah but Biomega is the one like chris was saying where like he kind of keys in on like good characterization like a little bit of humor but scaling back like the inky black edginess for like a little bit of something else like better rendering yeah. more interesting backgrounds i thought was really mm-hmm. interesting interesting backgrounds i thought were really interesting <laughs> agreed Yeah, I'm just going to leave that in. Forget it. Do it. Do it. Abara. So, this came out in 2006. This was during the serialization of Biomega. Yeah. It's a collection of short stories. I'm sorry, it was published in 2006. They were probably actually made over a period of years. And we, Viz, you know, my uh, paymasters, published it in (laughs) 2018. (laughs) It's a running dog of big manga over here. (laughs) <laughs> we couldn't read an entire first chapter for this one because it's just kind of the first half of the first chapter. Kind of generally, what did you guys think of the first chapter of Opera? Did it grab you?
2: He's doing some really weird stuff with faces here and like <laughs> hyper detailed rendering of his male characters that I think is really interesting. Mm-hmm. You could see it on page, I guess that's page 12. There's like or even the previous page, where he's—it's almost photorealistic. Like all these tiny hatches are trying to get, but otherwise, it looks like every—it looks like the other things. It looks like the other things, but mm. the faces—he's doing something of the male characters. He's doing something of the wheelchair. The the women still look like anime. Like still have that. Like I'm not drawing a woman. I'm drawing an anime version of a woman.
0: Like she doesn't really need pores,
2: right? Yeah, or like <laughs> centered eyes, or like yeah it's always yeah of her name. she
3: has the same expression, no matter what is happening, yeah,
4: I
2: mean m- most of them the male
4: characters for the most part, do as well, even when the male wow. character is really angry, it's just like just kind of yelling, yeah the the I mean, there's kind of a standard uh, kind of a problem with art, whether it be fine art or comic art or whatever, in general, which is to wash away the features on the the faces of the female characters mm-hmm. because anything else people's brains just can't get it They're yeah. like what oh why is she ugly and uh, <laughs> i remember this is a digression well, i used to assist uh, an illustrator who did realistic oil paintings he did a lot of like client work and 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 the one thing he taught me was there are no lines in the teeth of women mm. <laughs> like if a woman smiles you do not delineate the teeth because they'll just be like, "Why'd you make me look ugly?" And they won't even know what is wrong, but as soon as you get rid of all the lines and the teeth, it's like that's oh, okay. yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and there, there were he had a lot of examples of like clients being upset because he depicted them uh, accurately <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> <laughs> so, like I, I think about that a lot, especially with with the work like this, where you can see like yeah the the female characters' faces are very much kind of washed away of any mm-hmm. kind of like Delineation lines, defining features mm-hmm. and, and you know, I fall prey to that as well as an artist, it's something to, that's really hard to get out of.
1: yeah,
0: yeah. I was really impressed by the architecture in this one as well. Like, there are yeah. so many shots of the setting, like a weird vertical city that they live in, Crooked mm-hmm. city on top of that. Mm-hmm. that I really wanted to know more about how they got here, kind of what it's like, and his rendering. it felt like it, it feels like it took another leap. Like, maybe this was Biomega era. Maybe it was, you know, a little bit before. But I can see how he, it feels like there's continuity mm. so far. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense.
2: In this one, he discovered tubes. Tubes. Uh, yeah. opera <laughs> <laughs> <Abra laughs> is all about tubes.
3: I was going to say, like, so the, this particular one, it reminded me of Kowloon Walled City.
2: Yeah. Mm.
3: You know, this kind of decay and these st- this randomness of the, of the architecture. Mm-hmm. I'm super. I'm super fascinated by Kowloon Walled City. I bought like the the big hundred dollar art book that I've got. Like two had, books on it has too. like all the architecture and stuff like that. I think mm-hmm. you went, Chris. You went to that that place that New Yokohama,
2: right? yeah. yeah, or in Kawasaki. Uh, Kawasaki, yeah. there's a video game arcade where it was patterned after Kowloon Walled City, which was this. Well, sorry for folks who don't know who are listening. Kowloon Walled City was the Kowloon region of uh, Hong Kong. It had a has a really troubled history, so we're we're only going to gloss it real quickly here. I apologize, but yeah. basically, it became tenements and slums that people who lived there built up themselves based on the sort of public housing that was already there. Things like connecting buildings together with unapproved bridges at like twenty store like fifteen stories up and that kind of thing. Uh, things got so dense and so built over that like light didn't even enter the the core of the city anymore. It was eventually torn down. Kowloon has been sort of repopulated, resettled in Hong Kong. Yeah, this like space, this like place where people live that are off the grid. And you know what? I, I think I maybe missed it when I read this, but I think you're absolutely right. This place, unlike everything else, even noise to an extent, feels like a place that people live, whereas the other places feel like wastelands that people are <laughs> trying to survive, you know, yeah. with like not like and not die. And this one is just like, yeah, like apartments are where he walks into the medical clinic. And the stairs are full of people sitting on them, just like almost. You almost think they're gar- like it's refuse or garbage at first, and then you're like, "Oh, that's people that are just like camped out trying to see a doctor." And you're like, "The environmental storytelling is much stronger in this than I think it was in Noiser Blam. I think it's about on par with Biomega, but Biomega is trying to do something very different than this as well. Yeah. So it's
3: hard to compare. Biomega is more cosmic. This is more mm. uh, like it's in sp- stuff in space. Yeah. You know? <laughs> versus gritty city full of stuff and nooks and crannies and it's scary and then like it's more terrestrial
4: mm-hmm.
1: yeah Absolutely. yeah for
0: sure yeah it's like designed by people cowboy bebop versus guran Lagan, kind of <laughs> if biomega was the book where he kind of like kicked up his narrative game knights of sidonia is the one where he's like oh yeah I can tell jokes in comics too <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because what I did not remember about the first chapter of this series, which I liked quite a bit is that like the first, I don't know, 36 pages are just pratfalls pretty much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah it's him just stumbling through <laughs> and getting attacked and this horrible things happening,
3: running into a room full of naked girls,
0: which yes. happened several times over the course of the series. Like it's, <laughs> it's, a, it's a thing.
3: <laughs> this was something I brought up in the interview. And I said like, this, it, this feels like a, really different kind of like approach yeah like, yeah like you're drawing the characters cuter and younger and there's more fan service and he i think he kind of said something like i figured out it was time to make manga that people liked <laughs> <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> and, not, and not just stuff that entertained myself and and my sense my artistic sensibilities like he this was kind of his his take on i don't know trying to like tap into what's popular in manga which is frankly moe.
5: <laughs> mm.
3: i mean before it is a much darker sci-fi right this is more fun sci-fi
0: yeah this is giant robot sci-fi
1: mm. mm-hmm.
0: space adventure chip what'd you think of this one it was fine
4: <laughs> <laughs> i mean yeah like it's definitely it's a very different style and I I chuckled a lot. And and sometimes I think I chuckled maybe at things that weren't meant to be funny. Oh, like Uh, mostly just like kind of the over explaining of things like that, that always kind of cracks me up, but, but especially in a story like this, which is already has a kind of a a humor bent to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was, it was cute. And out of all the stories, this is the one that kind of made me want to kind of see what happens next just to see where the humor of it went the style was super interesting to me because the people still aren't necessarily well drawn but they're trying something different mm-hmm. and it actually falls down like it, how do i say this like knowing what comes after this this makes a lot of sense as they're kind of stripping away the the black
1: Mm-hmm.
4: because the black is actually used quite poorly in this because mm. there, there'll there just be scenes where like, uh, let's see, like page 23, mm. the top where he's in bed, like they're, they're just laying in black to like pop things out that yeah, don't I actually, see. don't actually add dimension to things necessarily. Mm. Like, so, so there's a lot of kind of randomness to where they're going like thick versus thin with their line. Or, or filling in black versus not, and and you can you can see they've got one foot out the door, in terms of <laughs> utilizing black in their work, which yeah. is which is pretty interesting. Yeah, it made a, a lot of sense when we moved on to the the next story.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah, it's really funny too. Just the idea that they were doing this to kind of do what was felt like would be a popular manga. Yeah. <laughs> because now it really makes sense why that bear is in this one as well. <laughs> clearly, after getting all the questions about the bear, they're just like, well, clearly they are like bear. So I'm just going to throw a bear in there.
0: They're like gorillas in DC comics. <laughs>
4: yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. This series really made an impression on me. Like the, the drastic switch in style. It's almost like going f- from being an underground cartoonist to like wanting to make X-Men. You know? Yeah. And not yeah. skipping the step. I mean, and skipping the steps in between. Yeah. Like, it's so much more clean. It's so much more bright. But it's still, despite all the jokes, like, as the series goes on, it has that same kind of grim, like, foreboding yeah. as you find out, like, what the monsters are. Because essentially, in Knights of Cydonia, all of humanity left Earth on two seed ships. One was called Apocims, which you never hear about again. And the <laughs> other was called Cydonia, which is the one, like, this setting. And it's thousands of years in the future, like the Earth was actually chopped in half at one point. Like so much goes on. (laughs) Hmm. (laughs) Yeah, amazing space Uh, opera, great drawings. But when the space battles happen, it gets really violent. Like Mm -hmm. that edge is still there. There's a bit where essentially the gravity in the ship changes, which they foreshadow in chapter one. And there are all these panels of just people kind of splatting against the wall from like 500 feet out. And it's like the most... Impersonal, gross, filling thing I'd seen in a long time. Wow, Mm. wow. Chris, what did you think of Sedonia?
2: I yeah, I mean everything you guys have said. It it definitely is a bridging piece. It Mm -hmm. where he's like, what if I made a comic that actually sold? I think that that is like, yeah, I think that that's probably a a good thing for him. Uh, It's you know, as a creator, (laughs) I hope. I mean, it got turned into an anime. It was huge. This was his best-selling work by far i'm glad it made him some money and more of a household name but it gets too far away from what i like about his work from an artistic point of view mm-hmm. but i think in terms of big ideas you don't really get yeah the first chapter is pure jokes like it's actually got a little bit of like like teases a little bit of plot it's got a like a ton of humor it's got some fan service some naked ladies and it's just like, oh, this is how you write a first manga chapter if you want to go to serialization. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, it feels very like he's he's he he's smart enough. Maybe he's been smart enough all along to know what the system is. But now he's like, all right, here you go. This is this is what you want, right? And it's like, oh my god, yeah. Here's an anime deal and statues and toys and all kinds of stuff that came with Nice yeah. But if I hadn't talked to my buddy Derek, who I actually saw over the weekend holiday, if you're listening, Derek, hi who was just like, oh, you're doing Knights of Sidonia and you're going to talk about that. And I was like, well, no, we're doing Sims but he's like, no, Knights of sidonia is the one, like there's so many good ideas in here about like relationships and gender. And mm. like, there's so much stuff that goes on in Knights of Sidonia that is not even hinted at in this first chapter that I think, I almost think the first chapter is as, as solid as it is kind of does it a disservice because it feels like it's going to be, you know, Gundam light or something. <laughs> yeah. And I would love I don't think I'm going to read 15 volumes of this. To be completely honest with you, I just it's just a little bit too much, too far away from what I like about his stuff. I am yeah. going to go back and read Biomega, but you know, there's only two seasons in the anime, and it apparently tells the whole story. Like, ah, uh, it's sitting there on Netflix for me right now, and I got nothing to watch. Maybe that is the way to. Maybe if this is conceived as something that could be turned into anime, then yeah. anime is the ultimate form of it, and I should watch that instead. <laughs> but
3: I think that br- that came up was that the. The story is easier to understand in the anime
2: than it is in the manga. Mm. Okay, it usually that people. The, I mean, that's but that's anime though. Like yeah, you hire you, this is like one dude, right? And he's yeah. sitting there at the drawing table, cranking out thirty pages a week. And then it's like, okay, I've written all this stuff, turned it into a TV show, and you get like a team of people that are smart writers and artists and animators, designers, and they take like twelve volumes or fifteen volumes of a thing and turn it into twenty-six episodes, like or two. 13 episode series or whatever it was and you have like these people squishing it down or whatever and i really want to get into this idea because, but i was sort of saving it for sailor moon frankly because chip had used to watch sailor moon when mm-hmm. it was an anime and hasn't read the manga and those two things i mean those two things are so far apart like, that the creator of the manga went back and demanded a new anime that was more faithful to her manga <laughs> <What>? <laughs> yeah yeah that's wow. what it wow. was so like I. I would love to talk about that some at some point, but reading one chapter of a series seems unfair to hold it to that. But yeah, I would probably read the, I would probably watch the, like the first couple episodes of the anime for this, yeah. but I don't think I'd read. I don't think I'd read the series. Deb, how did you think about this anime versus
0: manga?
3: I, it made more sense. <laughs> like yeah. I've, I have, it's been a while since I watched the anime, but I remember thinking, oh, okay. So this is, this is the, the world. And this is why the, all the girls look alike. Mm-hmm. And this is why the things are like they are. You know, it, it's just like it framed it up in a way that was easy for me to follow mm-hmm. and f- also teed up each subsequent episode in a way that made me want to continue. When mm-hmm. I'm reading this particular, this first chapter of Knights of Sidonia, Yeah, I don't know. It's just kind of funny because it's a, it's a lot of different things at once.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: I mostly look, look at it from the, like how strikingly different it is from Biomega art wise. Mm-hmm. like yeah. wow so different
1: like it's a pop song in comparison yeah, yeah right yeah yeah that's a good way to put it i love when artists do that though like really switch it up and
0: then it's like what are you obsessed with in this series so we made it to our final book we're at apisims <laughs> <laughs> uh, <published laughs> we read a full volume for this one mm-hmm. and the gist of this one According to Kadancha.us slash series slash Apposims, this story takes place on the frigid, massive artificial planet known as Apposims. Ao, Biko, and Ethero, maybe Ethero, residents of the White Diamond Beam, are in the middle of combat training when suddenly a girl appears, Rabideau and Empire soldiers in hot pursuit. The girl asks for their help in keeping safe a code and seven mysterious bullets. This chance encounter marks a major shift in the fate of the entire planet. And all of that is over with about two-thirds into the first chapter.
1: Yeah. Like, he yeah. really, you
0: waste no time. Yeah. And this is another drastic art change, mm-hmm. but it's still sort of in Nihei's wheelhouse. Like, there are yeah. things like the Ghana, the architecture. It feels like his work. But, Chip, mm-hmm. what did you think about this? You mentioned it, he's called it masterful earlier? Yeah,
4: no, it, it, it's gorgeous, like, straight through. Mm-hmm. Clearly, they've learned a lot <laughs> over the course of all these different books. Yeah, every couple of pages, I was like, I was taken aback by the layouts and the rendering choices. Anatomy, I think, at this point, is finally locked in. Mm. Like, like even with the Knights of Sidonia, like there were a few kind of like, yeah, I don't know. Mm-hmm. But here, characters and environments are all top notch, and it also does a thing that. I'm a huge fan of which is introduce a bunch of characters
0: and then just kill them off. <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't read the first chapter in a few years now, right when it was serialized on Crunchyroll. Yeah. And so I forgot that all those characters died. Cause I yeah. kind of remember the supporting cast from later in the series. <laughs> oh, so good.
4: Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's super well done. And like they're even like every once in a while, there's like a weird little funny part. It, it's like, they've kind of, they've learned from everything they've done. Like they still Mm -hmm. created like, Oh, it's still like, it's still like a weird world where there's things kind of out there and you have to be careful, but there's also little hints here and there of humor.
1: Mm -hmm. Like,
4: (laughs) I I don't even know what you call it. The, the weird little device character (laughs) when it's, when it starts, when it starts urinating,
5: (laughs) (laughs) it has to let them know this is
4: not (laughs) bodily waste. Like, because it's just such a funny shape, and to see that shape pissing it's just <laughs> like it, it looks really like. referenced a cat for that specific drawing. Yeah, yeah.
5: <laughs>
4: mm. <laughs> I also I have to admit too that I laughed. Like there's there's still you can see underneath it all. There's still maybe an element there, especially now that I know that the previous book was done to be like, oh, what do people want? What's popular? Here we go. Mm-hmm. There's uh, what is it? Page one twenty seven. Yiu has several regular frame underlings in a northern composite slab region. You can defeat them one by one. If you do that, then you can grow stronger, while closing in on Yiu at the same time. Like that right there is just such a standard, like unbeatable idea. Yeah. Like oh, here we go. Here's the series. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm.
4: Okay, Scott, you got to go and defeat all seven X's <laughs> to get to Gideon. Like it, it's it's. It's such a familiar beat
0: that I actually laughed out loud yeah. when I hit that page. What I didn't realize is this is also kind of a seven billion needles kind of story, where someone dies and is reincarnated with powers. Oh yeah, yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Chris, what would you think?
2: I actually read this when it was coming out. I was they did a weird they did a simul pub for this, which was weird at the time because it wasn't a, as big of a deal. Even Shonen Jump wasn't simul pubbing everything I think at that point and it was like okay the first chapter of the new Nihei is out and we're selling it as a $1.99 digital single big deal and you're thinking okay like that's a little weird but the first chapter is 80 pages by the way yeah. and also the first chapter completely free to read all 86 pages of it or whatever it is on the Kodansha site which is actually yeah. really cool of them it's like half mm-hmm. the book so, I read that and then I read the second chapter and I read the third chapter when it was coming out. And then, when I went to back to read this, I realized that the first volume is only three chapters because the chapters are so long and the first one's 86 pages. So, I yeah. actually had read Apple Sims Volume One and I was like, I got to the end of it and I was like, oh, I'm ready for this next thing. Like, I want to see what happens next because I was already kind of on board. And I—that was not the scope of this episode, so I didn't read ahead. And maybe I'll go drop another nine bucks on uh, today's episode. But yeah, short, short version. Yeah, it's it's hitting the mark. I think. It, yeah, it's interesting too because he's doing with negative space or with white, with mm-hmm. like what he was doing with black ink in the first mm-hmm. in Blam. Like he's actually figured out a way to use the complete absence of ink. In a way to enhance the kind of story he's telling, in a way he used to slap down black, you know, ink on the page to tell that kind of story, and I think that that's fascinating because those two things are the same thing usually, but I, not in comics. People don't use negative space that way. I think, I think honestly, readers feel cheated when there's not enough marks on the page. <laughs> yeah. which is why Rob Liefeld is was such a big success. So many tiny little lines. It's a great. Which isn't to say return on investment, yeah, right? Yeah, I want to I want to see all the little marks. It's not to say that there's not detail in this work or there's not thought or like, you know, you even the first couple pages, all these characters are in like, you know, basically winter excavation suits so that they can survive on the exterior of this thing. There's tons of detail. Every little satchel yeah. has a has a flap and then something holding the flap closed. The boots have like tape from where they've been repaired countless times because materials are scarce. Like There's so much good use of detail in this that really lends, I don't know, veracity to like his setting and his character designs and his characters. And yeah, then he just friggin' murders a bunch of them, which I think is also (laughs) so funny. And the the one that you think is going to be the lead character, the like only dark haired young shonen go getter character. Boom, half of his head's gone in like yeah. one panel.
0: It was so good.
2: <laughs> and then a the loner who doesn't talk to anybody ends up being the lead. I love yeah. that. I love yeah. that. Like, he knows what he's doing. No, there you mm. go. He knows what he's doing, mm-hmm. and it's really on display here. He's like, just, oh, I'm really good at comics now. Watch. And then he, he yeah. shows you, and he <laughs> is right, actually. Yeah, that yeah. Was 100%. My, that was my takeaway. But now I'm afraid we've set the bar very high. If Deb doesn't like it, I don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> Deb, did, what do you think of Apple Sims?
3: No, I, I get it. I, I, I think it's. Uh, <laughs> I get it. No, I get I get that. What I've, I found really interesting about that is is like you say, it's it's the absence of effort. You know, I mean, the absence. Like if you look at Blem, it's like here's this guy trying really hard. Mm. You know, like trying hard to put a lot to with you know putting a lot of lines and trying to create mood.
5: Mm-hmm. And
3: this was much more reductive, and much mm. more purposeful in mm-hmm. how he shows action and does the storytelling. Yeah, boy, how he kills all those characters. Chapter yeah. one, wow.
0: And <laughs> yeah. the way he draws the violence, too, is dehumanizing, I guess yeah. is a good word
1: for yeah. it. Yeah. yeah.
3: These are, not, these are not pretty deaths. And I, I, I guess what I, f- I feel like this is him reaching I, – I thought it was really interesting to have to read all of his work in single chapters all at once. Mm-hmm. Because you really start to see that he has some certain themes. And if you really thought about it, maybe all of these stories exist in the same universe.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: The settings are very mechanical, man-made. But the villains or the, the enemies are very organic and mutated, like nature gone wrong, nature, nature revolting against, mm-hmm. against man.
0: That's interesting because the villains are also artificial. Ah, I'm going to be thinking about that forever. That's really good. <laughs> But yeah, there's totally themes like you were saying in Biomega. They mentioned Toa Heavy Industries. Mm-hmm. That's actually carried through several other series. I believe it shows up in Sidonia. It's mentioned in something else. But it's also like part of the design for the Blam books, like Toa Heavy Industries. It's one of his
3: things. his business mm-hmm. card. It says Toa That's Heavy. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, Sorry,
2: his, he he, he started really cool. a company in the real world called Toa Heavy Industries LLC. And it's a partnership between him and what's the name of the company that did the people that did the Knights of Sidonia and oh, Polygon, Polygon Pictures. Yeah, they formed a company called Toa Heavy Industries, and that's his company now. That's where like, him as a that's his it. Zdarsko huh. is wow. Toa <laughs> Heavy Industries.
0: I feel like that's like if they made Marvel Comics at the Baxter Building, you know, like somehow right? that was both a real <laughs> place and
5: also. Well,
3: we're talking like in Tezuka, right? Tezuka has his cast the characters mm-hmm. and everything kind of happens within a certain style or a certain themes that he repeats over and over again. I yeah. feel like that's what he's doing here. Yeah. You know, like he never explains what gauna is and he re- refuses to explain what a gauna is. But then when I was reading Schnick, like, mm-hmm. oh, okay. Like one of his, I thought, why is he trying a Wolverine comics? Like, oh. Because one of his key themes in his sci-fi is about mutation.
1: Oh yeah, mm-hmm.
0: one of the books we're not talking about that he worked on is Wolverine Schnickt, which was published like bankruptcy post-bankruptcy era Marvel when they would put out anything <laughs> yeah, in like the best possible sense. Like so many awesome comics came from that era, including full color left to right Sutomo Nihei, with Wolverine <laughs> basically going to the Blam universe, and it ends on a Jim Morrison quote. It's such like a Strange <laughs> book. <It's> so strange. <laughs> oh, amazing. Yeah, but yeah, Apple Sims. It's actually ending next week as we record this. Oh on wow! The twenty fifth is the final issue, so a complete story. I think there's sixteen or twenty volumes, something like that. It's okay. quite a few at any wow. rate. So there's really? a decent wait.
2: I thought was it was just much seven? shorter. Yeah, there's seven that's available in English, and there's eight listed on the internet as having. Oh, what am I thinking of?
0: Anyway, Chris is right. I am incorrect. No, no. I did did not do the homework. Oh, no. (laughs) But is it ending? It is ending. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm excited to see kind of where he takes this story because, like I mentioned earlier, Knights of Cydonia was one setting. This series is named after the other seed ship that left Earth to Mm. escape the Gauna. Okay. This is on a structure. They say it's 120,000 kilometers across. Earth is only 10,000 kilometers diameter. So it's, you know, enormous. So it kind of, he could go anywhere and do anything. And that's really exciting for a creator like this. It clearly has obsessions, but also like, does not take him super seriously? Like the peeing
1: moment?
3: I so so rarely see hard sci-fi anymore. You know, Mm. it's interesting. He's so, he's so into it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Do you think mm-hmm. he's cyberpunk? Like, is he still cyberpunk, I guess, is a good way to put it? Or have we kind of moved past that?
2: It's weird because if you before this year when the game came out, I would have said cyberpunk was dead. So if he's still cyberpunk, then he's pushing things in a really interesting new direction. Where, you know what I mean? But mm-hmm. I think the idea of cyberpunk ends up being a little regressive. Sometimes we want this one specific version of the future, and we're going to keep iterating that version, whereas he's, he feels like he's moved past it a little bit like yeah. there's a mm, there's a humanity in aposims that is not present in blam or noise or even biomega these are there they, he takes a, a, a minute in this first volume to have the lead character encounter a village it's like oh the good guys are harvesting water planting food searching like searching for (laughs) for for things like like naturalistic things right like like deb was getting at all the dudes that are bad guys are all you know vicious metal machine things but i like i've read a bunch of of nihei the idea that someone's going to like have to drill for water or grow fruit is kind of a new idea in this you know what i mean like even the rice it's like all these people are photosynthesizing in Knights of Sidonia. They don't need to eat if they don't want to more than once a week. It's it's like a human. It's like a base concern. It's not really where they're at. So I think that's a big part of this is that it's like, yeah, you can have all the future fancy shit and have a metal arm or whatever, but you people still got to eat. People still got to survive. Yeah. Things are still rough. And it's not just about hacking and freaking and being cool. you know. And I think that, Maybe it's a this is a better future for something that you would call cyberpunk, but it's not. I don't think it is cyberpunk anymore. I think we we have decided that word means a very specific time and place.
3: Okay. I was going to say you should read the the Blam Academy one because there's a really neat essay at the end of it, mm. where this guy writes about that that cyberpunk is kind of like a, is an anti-futurist point of view that mm. you know whereas before you know technology is going to save the world, right? Technology is going to make us have better lives. And then the anti-futurist point of view is that technology is a weapon that threatens human society. And we're kind of seeing that, right? I mean, like Facebook almost brought <laughs> <Yeah>. down almost <laughs> brought down democracy, American democracy. <laughs> Facebook is killing us because people think that, that vaccines are fake. You know yeah. what I mean? So it's mm-hmm. like yeah. we're living that now. And so yeah. sometimes like reading this kind of cyberpunk type of thing is like, um, can I just get some cute girls? Cause this shit's too <laughs> real now.
0: <laughs> Extremely relatable point. Yeah. So I do want to say Apposims opens on a bridge just like glam and Biomega did. So maybe that is the secret.
2: Oh, Hey, there you oh. go. That's, that's actually a really good metaphor though. Mm-hmm. Like the idea of you, the reader yeah. coming to join him and I still have a thousand ideas. So let's uh, let's no, We want to keep doing this. Let's go. Yeah. Chip what he got
4: just, just, just before we go, I just want to like, yeah focus on the art a little bit longer it's rare that you see work like this where it's black and white where they use so little black and the effect that it's had on the story is that it's almost radioactive like everything mm-hmm. just has like a like almost an ethereal glow to it like even when somebody's in a hallway that you know has a little bit of gray shadow it's just it feels like you can't escape in this world mm-hmm. like wherever you go there's going to be eyes on you it's such a Creates such a really, really fascinating mood that I haven't actually seen in a comic before. Because, yeah, because the, the default reaction is to, you know, add more black to, like, make it mysterious. But here it's like there's there's no escape because yeah. of the art style. Like, even when the characters are kind of hidden away, it doesn't feel like they're hidden away at all. And
0: that that's really fascinating. It says something about the light in this on this world, too, I think. it's Yeah. Radioactive is a good word for it because it feels sickly, you know? Yeah. Yeah,
3: like fluorescent versus warm, right?
0: Yeah,
4: yeah, absolutely. I'd be interested to see, like, knowing that they're finishing this, what they do next, because, like, obviously, based on what what Deb mentioned earlier, like, they don't they don't care for adding black for (laughs) logistical reasons. So I'm like, will this style continue, or will they figure out some other way of telling a story? Like, Mm -hmm. yeah, Yeah, it is different looking than
3: Nysisidonia.
0: yeah, it's Europeanish almost.
3: Yeah, mm, yeah. It feels sure. sort
0: of like Evil Nausica, like where Miyazaki was <laughs> yeah, kind yeah. of working in like the it does. Mobius sort of French kind of mode. Yeah, and this is the version of that where like cinder blocks destroy heads. Yeah. <laughs> but okay, so in lieu of a traditional final thought, I just want to get Chip's take on the co- uh, the color pages from APA sims
4: Oh yeah, let me uh, let me let me pull them up. And am giving my hot take. Uh, I mean, if you would call these color pages, <laughs> it's. I mean, unless I'm looking at a different version, mm-hmm. like there's basically the the cover, a pinup, kind of a title page, like a splash page, and that's it.
0: Yeah, yeah, and it's all gray, pretty much.
2: Oh no, there yeah. actually is color in the kindle version of
0: the i mean but it's still very it desaturated is that the right word? yeah absolutely yeah yeah I, I barely
4: count these as color pages they're rendered extra rendered pages and they're fine that's my proclamation <laughs> they're fine <laughs> it's cl- I, I i don't think there's a lot of necessary um care put into it really mm-hmm. like it's just kind of like Like, now that I know what I know, that, like, these all have to start with color pages for some reason Mm -hmm. to really pull people in. I can see they're just kind of doing what they have to do
2: here, but I don't know. But, Chip, let me show you what the color actually looks like on that double page spread. Because I think it's something, it's a little bit, I don't think it's totally different than what you're saying, but I do think it's different enough that maybe you want to see it. What format did you read it in, Chip? Yeah, yeah. Uh, This one's on Comixology
3: yeah i see i see I'm seeing the same version yeah it's got like yeah, it, it's great. not necessarily gray, but the sky is like a little steel blue
1: yeah mm-hmm.
3: but it's definitely not it's so it's color
1: it's yeah. not
3: a lot <laughs> yeah yeah exactly <laughs> yeah yeah so that's that. what i see too
2: yeah yeah i i actually you really thought that that was like i don't know i didn't it feels deliberate, it doesn't feel perfunctory mm. to me but i I get what you're saying
4: i mean it's like i, I think like half the time there are color pages in these. They're very much just super monochromatic because they just got to like, just do it, get it done. Mm-hmm. And then the other half of times it's just wild stabs at rendering in color that don't work. <laughs> so I'll, I'll take this over the other any day. Nice. But also it's, it's everything feels like a step down after the, uh, the spy family covers. And True. Color mm,
2: those pages. are really good. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, David, I have a question for you. Yeah. Do you see a link between the artwork on Seven Billion Needles and the artwork of our good friend Tomo Nihe here? Because and when we got to Knights of Sidonia, suddenly it felt a lot closer to me, the kind of art he was doing.
0: I don't I think they share surface similarities, like a similar line, kind of a similar kind of rendering, like very round for lack of a better phrase. Mm-hmm. I didn't go to art school, I don't know anything. But I wouldn't necessarily compare them except that they use similar techniques to like bubbly flesh is kind of a thing in both books as mm-hmm. it transforms into another shape. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I do think okay. they're cool touch points. Like I do love finding artists who solve the same problem in different ways.
2: Mm-hmm. They're yeah. cool
0: to look at from that perspective.
2: You brought up Seven Billy Needles, and I was like thinking, like, oh, that was maybe the last like actual sci fi, sci fi book that we covered on here. Is it? I'm just looking at the shelf. I, mean, I don't really see Akira. Yeah, I mean, it <laughs> was first though and first and always. But yeah, I guess yeah, it did it it didn't so much with Blam and Noise and mm-hmm. Biomega, but when it got into Knights of Sedonia, I'm like there's a way that these characters move that feels a little bit like like 7 Million Needles to me. And that was 2008 and I think that's kind of like time-wise they're not too far off. Knights of Sedonia was a little bit after, so yeah, maybe. Anyway, Cool. Anyway, just a thought. I wanted to get your, your take as the expert on both books.
0: Oh, no. Not that. Before <laughs> I get put on the spot anymore, we're going to take a quick break for some advertising, come back for a little more chatter, and picking three more books.
3: You have one unheard message. <phone rings> All right, we're back, and it is time for another Manga Blind Date. This segment is brought to you by Viz Media, who sent us this book to check out. None of us have read it, but we're just going to give it... Well, we're just going into it blind. Let's see what we thought about it. Well, this time, we are reading a book by someone we've read before, and we've talked about on Manga Spooning before. This is Mao by Rumiko Takahashi. We talked about her work on Mermaid Saga, and this is her latest series. Let's see. Well, let's just dive right into it. How about you, Chris? What did you think of Ma?
2: So, this was an interesting one because I really did go in blind. And I think on our last blind date with Junji Ito's Censor, I was like, if I had known like a little bit more about this before I read, I think I would have gotten into it more from the beginning. Like realizing that the first couple chapters were set up. I'm glad I didn't know anything about this one because it felt a lot from the description to me like takahashi's previous work which was Rinne, which was a very very long running series that i did not like at all and it's so it's so difficult for me to admit that because i like takahashi's ranma was one of those like things that got me into anime and got me into manga meison okoku was my favorite series for years and years so i wasn't when i found out what this was i was like oh no it's gonna be another Rinne. but yeah i have to say that while this is not for me clearly it is a shonen sunday title i didn't mind it i thought it had some really interesting ideas i liked that it was set in the taisho era partly and that she would move back and forth and that's an area that we've covered a lot actually almost by accident on Mog explaining but particularly with panorama island i like that it digs into yokai in a sort of a fuller way and it's not in the middle of like a yokai boom or anything like that. It seems to come from a place of genuine interest by the author, which is always kind of nice. I liked I liked that it, especially towards the end, moved in a mermaid saga direction. Like a short horror of the week thing where there's a different monster they've got to investigate every week. But that said, the parts of the book that were Closer to Rinne, and especially later in Inuyasha, where it's like there are lead characters that know exactly what's going on and they refused to tell each other how they feel or what's going on. And it feels artificial because the author needs to like dole these little bits out as the series goes on. Like, if you're just sitting around and talking to somebody for three days, maybe you'll get around to talking about why you actually like. Have this scar or what you encountered, but instead we get like three pages of like backstory every chapter as the days move forward, and I found that to be really artificial in a way i didn't I didn't enjoy as a reader. yeah, it's a mixed bag, but I think it's definitely stronger than some of the recent work I've read by Takahashi Sensei, and I liked that there were moments that made me remember the good horrific parts of mermaid Saga. that was my take.
4: How about you chip? I mean the only Other works I can compare it to are Mermaid Saga. Like I've I've read bits of Maison Akuku and Ranma when I was younger, but I don't have a a strong memory of it. So it's interesting to see the similarities, like the kind of the twists and the adding to the lore of a thing as you go through. I would say that, much like Chris, this one isn't necessarily for me, but I I feel like I could recommend it to younger readers. Like It feels Mm -hmm. like horror... Adventure designed for a younger reader because there's nothing really horrific in this, but there's just enough to be like, ooh, this is like weirdly, you know, titillating for maybe a kid, but not as much for an adult. And I think the world building, too, would be kind of more interesting for a kid and piecing together the mystery. Whereas for for me, it just feels like a lot of things are just kind of being tacked on as you kind of go through. There's a lot of repetition, too. And asking the question, like, what happened that day? well, you know, what is this place? What is this place? There's a lot of that kind of repetition that made me feel like this is very much geared towards kids. But the but the cartooning is still excellent. It obviously doesn't have the kind of the old school flavor of Mermaid Saga. It was kind of the, the sweeping brushstrokes. Like this is a digitally produced book, and you can yeah. see mm-hmm. in a lot of spots that coming through. But the, the panel composition and the, the storytelling is still like top notch. There's there's one panel where I was just like, wow, it's so simple, but so well done where <laughs> the uh, spoiler the kid hands her her hand back mm-hmm. and she faints and the fact that they managed to basically essentially in three panels with like these weird interstitial panels show her receiving it passing out and coming to and you don't mm-hmm. lose you don't lose a step there in in terms of failing to understand what's happening mm-hmm. like like it's it's a very simple method where the character kind of passes out towards the left side and then there's this, 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 the, the black strip panel and then another panel of just kind of piecing her together again. And then she's facing the opposite direction. Like it, it's just, a, it's such a small thing, but as an artist, I'm just like, Oh wow, that's, that's super elegant. And it, mm-hmm. clearly even in her later works, she still has these kind of fun new tricks up her sleeve. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm
3: I surprised by this one yeah some i mean you know of course i'm 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 cynical in the way that anyone who's read read manga a long time is can be cynical (laughs) like (laughs) oh okay here's another girl and a guy ruby kotaka story where the guy's magical and the girl's not but kind of and then Mm -hmm. they they fight the monster of the week (laughs) you know yeah Mm -hmm. but i think there was some interesting moments where i thought oh this is surprising like i didn't expect like I didn't expect her hand to come up. I didn't expect that moment when her when her when her eyes change and her, she has fangs. There seems to be like some kind of interesting mystery going on. Mm-hmm. It's it it felt more compelling than Winne with when Renee was kind of more jokes, even though it kind of had a very a similar formula. This one seems a little bit more serious and more horror oriented. It's not it's it's compelling enough that I think I'd like to see where it goes from here. It was not something that I automatically said, "Oh, yeah, I got to pick this up when it first came out so yeah. it's, it's interesting to be to be put in the situation to read it, come in blind, and go, Oh, this is not quite this is a little different than what I expected.
2: I will say, I feel like this is a more successful work than uh, than Rene, but it just yeah like i don't want to i don't want to be like mean because i don't think it it deserves it but the action is the thing that i can't get over is that it's like an action comic but the scenes the sword slashing scenes and things like that we talked a little bit about how roniko takahashi draws action versus how other artists draw action and it really is just like you get everything in one panel and it's there's a couple of moments where i wish we had gotten a few more pages of like, especially the fight between Bioko and Mao. I wish we had gotten a few more pages to actually show that fight scene. Instead, it was just sort of like one page with the word slash written 15 times mm-hmm. or something like that. That was my biggest letdown from the series. But I really think that the setting, the Taisho era, actually does a lot of work here because it gives a lot of visual interest. It's it's not like in Inuyasha, which tend As far as I can remember, and I read 12 volumes and I kind of tapped out after that point, but a lot of Inuyasha seemed to be set in a field, just like a never-ending field with sparse trees, sort of like a forest. There wasn't really a town and occasionally she would go back to like the real world or whatever. And in this one, it's like, oh, there's like a coffee house and there's like a mansion and there's like a whatever. And I thought that was really good. I actually really liked that it felt like it was in a place and it, it, it added to that like a girl spirited away to a different place kind of vibe more so than than some of the other works that I've read uh, recently. I also really dug, I think the characters, the three characters that they've introduced are actually pretty fun. Like, I think Mao is like a brooding, you know, whatever. The Choco is a pretty believable young lady. And then the little doll demon boy thing is like actually kind of hilarious. Like, you know, like he's not overplayed. He's not overly cutesy. If this was a Disney movie, he would have had a like a rap song by now <laughs> or something like that instead he's just like you know kind of like just there for just enough comic relief that he doesn't get annoying so yeah true i uh, i'm i'm in, i'm i'm curious i'm curious about where this goes
3: all right now that you've been on a first blind date with mal would you go on a second would you seek out the second volume what about you chip it's
4: weird to say this in context of a date but i would not go on a, another date but i would r- recommend that a child go on a date with with them.
2: No, that's going to, that's going to play. There
3: goes that (laughs) metaphor. (laughs) How about you, Chris?
2: Yeah, I think um, if I saw this at a store, I'd pick it up to see how at least the story that I'm reading that, that started at the end of this volume ends like the, with the fake priestess. I think that that's really interesting as like a, a thing, but yeah, you know, I read this book. I know it's not for me, and I do think it has just enough, just enough gore, just enough horror to like keep a younger reader sort of entertained. Like, there's a spider lady, and she keeps a collection of young men's heads in which to lay her eggs. That's actually pretty gross as as an idea, but it's gross in exactly the kind of way that like someone who's good at creating shonen manga would come up with to make a shonen manga reader go, "That's gross! Oh my god! I need to see what happens next and flip the page." Yeah. Yeah. So I thought that, that like there's some good horror at like exactly that like twelve, thirteen, fourteen year old age level that I think that its intended audience maybe would dig. So yeah, this isn't this isn't the date for me and there won't be a second one, but I think I know somebody that would be perfect and fix Mal up with and I'll send that along. You know what I mean?
4: See you did it in a less creepier way than I did. Good job. <laughs> yeah. Deb, how about you?
3: Well, I mean, I I will say that. It's hard for her to, to match the heights that she reached with her prior work, you know, and, and maybe it's partly something where I have such fond memories of One Half or like, you know, even Uruse Yatsura, which is just, just over the top nuts, <laughs> or Maison Koku, which is so masterful and heartfelt. This kind of feels a little bit, I don't know, like she's just kind of found a formula and she's working with it. She's trying to find some way to make it work anew. It's not something I think that will that will be as resonant to me, but maybe it's something. It's because, like you're saying, I'm older, and maybe I'm not in that space to feel that kind of attachment to this series. Mm. I think it's a good teen horror series, though, and I think it's worth checking out. I'm not sure if I would kind of you know pre-order volume two right now, but I am curious mm. to see where it goes from here. There are enough mysteries in this that I'm curious to see how they unfold. All right. So that was Mao Volume 1 by Rumiko Takahashi. It's available now from Viz Media in print and digital. Go to bit.ly Mao Podcasts, to read a free preview.
0: And we are back. Thank you for listening to that advertisement. I've heard reports that some people don't get ads. If so, you are extremely blessed, but please PayPal us a quarter at your earliest convenience. <laughs> <laughs> So this is the week that we need to pick comics, new manga for Chip to read, for us to talk about, for people to listen to, which is the All point right. of our manga-splaining podcast. Chris, since I'm the host, I get to make <laughs> you go first this time.
2: <laughs> I, I, everyone makes me go first, when it's time. Anyway, whatever. Fine. Let's do this. Hey, Chip. Hey. Hey, Chris. What is the largest number of volumes you would be willing to read <laughs> for one week of manga-splaining? Oh, my God. And your answer will determine whether I pick book A, which is in my head, or book B.
4: Well, I mean, first of all, you've given single volumes before that were equal to eight volumes. (laughs) Yes. Five. (laughs) Yes, go on. So let's let's get real specific here. Are these volumes... How many pages are these volumes?
2: Actually, pretty short, like 150.
4: Okay. All right. Yeah, okay. I would do uh, three.
2: Then what we're going to do... And you can decide at which point you would like to do it, is a series I like to call Tokyo Terereba Girls by Akiko Higashimura. Tokyo Terereba Girls has a special connection to you, which I think you're going to appreciate. It is a... Akiko Higashimura is one of the best, you know, Jose artists working today. It is about three ladies in Japan who are in their 30s and about to enter their 40s, which, you know, I know that you are interested in ladies of uh, uh, older ladies let's say people in their 40s wait
4: wait what first of all that's not older i'm 45 that's not older (laughs) that's actually creepy if i'm interested in like someone in their 30s actually that's
2: ancient in manga so you're just gonna have to roll with it (laughs) all right
4: sorry okay yeah
2: too many 12 year old (laughs) protagonists anyway they're looking for love and they're Uh finding it in all the wrong places the series becomes a hit in japan actually with these characters that are trying to find love and can't find love. And people start writing into the mangaka and going, Oh my God, I'm just like the lead character. I can't find love. Please help me. And starting in the third volume, the mangaka starts answering their letters in the back of the book via comic strip form. And so if you were said three volumes, Tokyo Terra Reba, I thought, Oh, you might be interested. So it's a mangaka turned advice columnist for ladies looking for love in Tokyo. Well, it is a well, comedy. Well. It is smart as hell. And to be completely honest, all three of us love it. <laughs> so
0: it might have ruined my life a little bit.
2: Yeah. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> all right. Okay.
4: Ruined David's yeah. life. I'm interested now.
2: <laughs> so I think I think it's something you would really dig and something we've been talking about and referencing for a long time when it comes to Jose manga. So I think you'll really dig it. That's
4: okay. All right. For the next book. All right. I'll take it under advisement. Next. And that is
2: Volumes 1, 2, and 3.
0: All right. Not bad. Cool 600-ish pages. So I guess I have to go second, but that's okay because I was counterpicking Chris anyway. I'm going to read the description of mine, just a couple sentences out of it, and mm-hmm. then see if I can sell you on it. High schooler Akiko has big plans to become a popular manga mangaka before she even graduates, but she needs to get much better at drawing if she ever wants to reach her goal. Looking for an easy fix, she signs up for an art class, thinking all her problems will soon be solved. She's in for a surprise. Her new instructor is a bamboo sword-willing taskmaster <laughs> who doesn't care about manga one bit. But maybe this unconventional art teacher is just what she needs to realize her dreams. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so this is called Blank Canvas, My So-Called Artist's Journey, and it is by the same cartoonist who did Chris's book. Wow. <laughs> wow. Like semi-autobio story of her life growing up to become like a manga superstar. Well played, David. Well played. <laughs> it's nice. All right, Deb.
5: <laughs>
3: okay. So, remember when I said what well, I'm going to pick it depends what the other guys say? So mm-hmm. this was my alternate choice from last time. So, it's called Blood on the Tracks. It's by a oh. uh, creator named Shuzo Oshimi. And basically, it's a it's kind of a suspense horror manga, but it's a it's basically It's unlike any other suspense comic I've ever read. It's about a young boy, and his he's an only child, and his mother is very protective. So protective (laughs) that it starts to get really creepy, and then something happens. The mother does something unthinkable, and this young boy has to decide whether to keep a secret or not.
1: Ooh,
4: intriguing! Mm. Very good, Deb. Very good. All right. So let me just say. First of all, Chris, you, you've, you've, you're have you doing a lot better at these. <laughs> <laughs> you're describing it.
2: I'm finding connections directly to you. Finding co- I'm not connections talking directly just to me. about random shit.
4: Where you've gone wrong is mm. just the amount. Mm. And so I'm going to push that off a little bit. David <laughs> totally kneecapped you there. Yeah. <laughs> by basically oh. picking <laughs> the same creator except as one volume
2: <laughs> oh no really it's, it's, really it's four volumes though oh no we're doing we we're just doing four, one yeah yeah yeah
4: so uh, i'm gonna have david's pick as my number one nice and because i don't want to do those back to back deb is going to be number two uh and also because I need to buy myself some time because we've been really piling on the manga lately. Yours <laughs> is number three, <laughs> but they're all great picks. Hmm. Like, I'm excited I, for
0: devs. Yeah, yeah. It, uh, Have yeah. you read it, David? No, but that author continually grosses me out, so like mm. I'm in. Yeah, bring it Sounds on. Good.
3: It's an incredibly unnerving manga.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's also a good mix of comedy, horror, or thriller comedy. So it should be a and a roller coaster. Series. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, hmm. yeah, that's good.
3: I'm still counter-programming you guys.
4: <laughs> yeah, this, this is this is the thing where uh, normally one of you really loses, but I think in this case all of you won the picks this time because I genuinely want to read all three of these.
5: Yay. That's great. Yeah, Hooray. I think we're all
0: counter-picking each other. It's like a three-way <laughs> yeah. standoff, and somehow Chip always wins. <laughs> <laughs> that's the way I like it. Yep. So we've got Chip's books. We've got a schedule. Deb, you've got our shout-out for the episode. Oh. What can you tell us about?
3: <laughs> well, I just started watching the Evangelion movies. They're f- Now all four of them are out on Amazon Prime. I've watched several versions of Neon Genesis Evangelion. And yeah, it's it's a lot to take in. And apparently mm. this version of four movies is the ultimate version. Where it, things tie up. Or it the story gets told in a way that, I guess... It's a remix in a way, but it kind of like hits different beats and it makes it more cohesive
1: Mm
5: -hmm. and
3: more meaningful. I've managed to avoid spoilers about the last one. (laughs) I'm so proud of myself. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. (laughs) I I think Niangela's Evangelion, I mean, I think David, you mentioned that maybe we would get Chip to read the manga one day because, like Akira, it's kind of a seminal work.
1: Yeah.
0: Mm. And another work where the manga came out alongside the animation. So, Different staff on the manga, I suppose.
2: I'm a little afraid to watch the ending of Evangelion. It's been literally a consistent, a constant in my life since I was like 16 when I first started watching the VHS tapes. And I actually bought some of the VHS tapes because I couldn't wait for them to be available in rental. Hmm. I actually never read the end of Lone wolf and Cub either, that last big fight that's 26, 27, 28, even though I'd read everything up to it, because the idea that it would be over this like epic. Story that was like so that lasted so long in my life, mm-hmm. so I've I've held off on. I know it's been sitting there, and I actually even rented out a theater and invited a bunch of people to see Evangelion One and Two for my birthday a couple of years ago.
0: Fancy.
2: I really, yeah, I really dig that, but yeah, I don't know that I want it to end, even if the ending is good, even if the ending's bad. I don't think I want it to end. So, yeah,
3: I think the, per- I the one share. person who wants it to end is Hideaki ano <laughs> yeah, yeah. that sense from him, Actually, I hear it took it. Almost killed him, <laughs> and he's yeah. like, "That's it. That's all. I'm just gonna go and I'm gonna do. Come and write a movie desk Deal. I
1: believe it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's a good point for an upcoming episode of Manga Explaining, though. We should cover his wife's work, who is incredibly funny mm. and has. She pokes a lot of holes in the auteur that is the creator of Evangelion. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. But we'll get there.
3: Did you show, see the short clip about the big turn up?
0: No. <laughs> what? No.
3: <laughs> it's, it's this anime, it's a short, it's for the 10th anniversary of Studio Kara, and it, mm-hmm. oh. it talks about each, it uses this metaphor of the, the director, Anno, getting this field and he starts growing things in it. And the big first big turn up that pulls out of the, is Evangelion 1.1. 1. 1. And then, you know, all and so it kind of starts talking about how he got burned out between mm. three and four and just didn't want to come into the office anymore. It's pretty, it's pretty honest. Even though it's kind of told in that visual style of insufficient direction. Oh, nice. Yeah, Uh, I'll I'll share it with you. I thought it was fascinating.
0: Yeah, we can show notes it for the listeners who aren't sharing manga's Explaining Studio with us right now. (laughs) 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 But that was our episode. We talked about Tsutomo Nihei a bunch. Hopefully, you learned something. Hopefully, you're going to go out and spend a bunch of money on his work. And if not, don't tell us about it. And we will see you next week where Chris, you're hosting, right?
2: yeah next week we are doing wait what are we doing next week (laughs) invitation from a crab yeah oh god yeah sorry it's been that kind of week yeah invitation from a crab i'm actually looking forward to a lot we haven't done anything that we would consider alternative with hard air quotes scare quotes on that alternative manga yet and i think i literally can't wait for chip to tear it to pieces even though it's great it'll be fun
0: well, let's see. Let's I see. can't wait for Chip to love it and
2: disappoint Chris. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, that, I, I would be <laughs> delighted to be disappointed.
0: All right. Kind of a catch-22. <laughs> All right. <laughs> on behalf of Deb, Chris, and Chip, I am David, and thank you for listening to Manga Planning. This has been Manga Mangasplaining Season 2, Episode 3. Thanks for listening. For our next episode, we'll be discussing the manga An Invitation from a Crab. Want to pick up a copy? Consider supporting your local comic book and manga specialty shop. Find one near you at comicshoplocator.com or check out your local library for print and digital lending options. You can also follow along with our complete reading list at mangasplaining.com. Thanks to DADS for their musical accompaniment this episode.